0: Let's go live with Jack Kelly. Welcome to the one-of-a-kind LinkedIn live show that will help you with your job search and advancing your career. We will bring in educated career experts who will share their insights and give you inside tips on how to be successful in your job search. Now let's get into today's show with your host, Jack Kelly.
1: We're live. Yes. All right. We're, let's go live with Jack Kelly. And my special guest today is Jeannie Clark. Jeannie, I'll tell you what, let's just jump right into, would you like to introduce yourself and tell you about, tell everyone who you are, what you've done, all the cool stuff you've been involved with?
0: Yeah, I won't give all of it. It's been a, a long, <laughs> a long career. Uh, um, let's we'll with the Google part. Let's we'll start yeah, with the most no recent. Most recently, I was a director of executive recruiting at Google, where um, I oversaw a team of about 30 researchers and recruiters doing non-tech um, leadership recruiting, as well as the global internal mobility program for senior leaders and um, the diversity <laughs> program for executive level hiring.
1: That is a lot though, isn't it?
0: It was a lot, yeah, but it all intersected. It was all beautifully interconnected. So it, it made perfect sense. And I loved managing three teams at a time. It was great. Now, this is a totally unfair question to ask, but did you
1: have a favorite between those three things that you were, you were doing over at Google?
0: Actually, no, I actually, I honestly, honestly did not, because again, the way they all came together, they played to my absolute strengths because I'd been an executive recruiter. I've been a partner at Spencer Stewart uh, for 12 years and co-founded their global diversity practice. So I loved and understood the diversity element of executive recruiting, but it the foundation of the diversity piece, which most people don't understand, they think, oh, you're a black woman, you know, a lot of people of color. Um, you, know, you know, blah, 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 right, whatever they kind of think of, of this, this sort of light thing, but I'm a, an executive recruiting purist, uh, meaning I learned at Spencer Stewart the art and science of recruiting, and that was foundational to me um, as I began to build out in my, in my second year there um, the diversity um, practice. So you can't get to the diversity piece unless you're flawlessly executing the executive recruiting methodology. Uh, And so that was part of what I imparted on my team of recruiters and really worked on the the strategy of trying to impose elements of the diversity piece, which is not just the supply. It's not just identifying people, it's measuring how you're moving people through the process. It's uh, making sure that there's competency assessment that's happening among the hiring managers and the panels who are interviewing. So there are a lot of things. And then on the internal mobility side, um, that played to my uh, a book that I wrote in 2011 called Career Mapping, um, where I really talk about, again, the competency thing from the individual perspective and making sure um, that people understand and are thoughtful and introspective as they're planning their next move. And so I worked with a lot of Google senior leaders to say, all right, you've been here for five years or 12 years, what's next and why? Not just let's look at all the open roles that might, you might be suitable for, let's do a deep dive and let me um, kind of challenge you and pull out some of the elements that make you good at what you do and then set a course for what it is that you want. So, so this, is, this, this is a
1: lot of great stuff. So let's say with the diversity, Sure. this might be a naive question, under that umbrella, what does that include? Because I think a lot of people you hear, let's be honest, you hear these terms and then especially you hear from corporations say, here's what we do. And you're like, what do you really do? So like, what is, so when you say diversity, can you walk like through what what type of people you work with? And then it sounds like it's not only finding them but
0: it sounds like also educating the hiring managers too. Yeah. Is that that right? Uh, Yeah. So it's um, for me And and this is, I think this is sort of a a misconception about the DEI space. People kind of look at me, well, you're a DEI person. I'm like, actually, no, Um, I'm a, well, it's a yes, but, not a yes and, it's a yes, but I'm, as I said, I'm an executive recruiter. What I've come to understand are the elements of that executive recruiting infrastructure that need to be in place that support the identification, the assessment, the compliant capture of demographic information around underrepresented individuals. And so part of, you know, I did what I had to do when I got to Google was I found, I'll I'll tell a little, you know, dirty secret, that all of the searches were being done on spreadsheets. Now, I came from an executive search firm. We had one of the best databases in the world. And so I needed to figure out a way to get us um, something to put everything into um, because that's I mean, sure right. to, well, they have an applicant. would have, have the best. They <laughs> have an applicant tracking system, an at okay. ATS, but that's for the more junior roles where you know they would get four million applicants a year. At the leadership level, we're doing more, far more. I I say we still. It's only been two weeks. Um, that's where there's you know you're hiring one general counsel, one treasurer. It's much more customized, unique kinds of discrete roles. And so you're not, yeah, we'll post those roles, but most of the work, you're Google's internal executive search firm. So we're going after passive candidates. There are only gonna be so many people who are qualified to the level that Google needed them to be qualified. So making sure that the researchers are looking um, beyond just who do you know, Right, which is a common refrain that I've noticed, especially in Silicon Valley, it's very much, well, oh, it's a bro culture, the book's been written about it, it just is, let's face it. But that does not lend itself to ensuring that there are underrepresented individuals being considered for roles, and so that was part of what I worked on with my team, it was, do we even know who is Black or Brown or female? And can we capture that in a compliant way? And I'll get really granular with you, Jack, because yeah. I'm guessing that some of the people that are listening might be talent acquisition professionals. And so um, you know, they understand this, the difference between visual identification and um, voluntary self-identification. So when someone applies for a job, very often they're asked and they can choose, they can opt out, but what is your gender? What is your race or ethnicity? Um, not, not, not so much nationality. So that's what allows a recruiter to kind of say, look, look at a pipe. We've got a pipeline that is indeed representative. We have black, brown, Asian, female or not. And so, but at the leadership level, it's more difficult because we're going after folks who are passive. And so they don't become applicants much later and we don't get that voluntary self-identification. And so it was really hard to make sure that we were being compliant in um, understanding how we were doing. We needed to know this information to see to gauge ourselves as recruiters on how well were we doing and putting forth a pipeline of diverse talent. And then making sure once it got in front of our hiring managers, that they were indeed assessing these individuals on the basis of competencies and not just which companies, not just the pedigree, which schools did they go to, which companies did they work for. because we found that that was a predilection that has been long-standing in tech. As I mentioned, that sort of bro culture, it's the, who do you know? I think Larry and Sergey were sitting around with Susan in the garage and said, who do you know as we grow the company? Which is a natural thing to do, its that's innocuous enough. But it creates a culture of exclusion if that's who you're continuing to hire. It's who do you know? And as a global organization, um, they and all these global companies should be looking globally for the best talent. The best talent you might not know. And, and people ask me, well, you know, do you know the, do you know chief marketing officers? Do you know black such and such? I'm like, no, of course I don't. No, how could I? Because they're coming online all the time. People are getting promoted into these senior roles around the world. And so that's why I'm saying you know, some of these companies need to check themselves when they're saying we have the best talent in the world. And I kind of go, if you don't have diversity in the broadest sense, that tells me you don't have the best talent in the world because you've not looked far and wide enough to really discern what that is, again, on the basis of competency.
1: So when you say around the world, I'm, I'm curious. With this whole work from home, work remotely, it seems that the natural progression would be, you could apply to a job. If let's say I'm here in New Jersey, I could apply to a job in Silicon Valley, you know, theoretically, Yeah. but then also if I'm in Belgium or I'm in Hong Kong, I could do the same. Do you think that's gonna, is that, did that happen at Google? You think that would be a trend that we might see? Does
0: I don't you know really we get it as, um, I, I think the, the bias at the senior levels, there's probably going to be a bias for at least eventually Right now with the lockdown, um, I know Google was hiring people um, in different parts of the world who were planning to move to the US, if not the Bay Area, um, you know, to, to manage their team. This proximity matters, um, at, again, at the senior most levels, but it all depends on what role. I know some senior leaders you know, in the last couple of years before COVID that we brought in um, would stay in a particular region in the US. But just in terms of being outside of the US, um, if they're running a region, right, in and, and APAC or EMEA, absolutely. Um, but if it's a US-based role, chances are they're going to need to be in the US in some region, if not local. Yeah. So, so I'm not sure that's going to completely go away with COVID. You think so? Because you would think,
1: and part of me wants it to be more product, because for yeah. job seekers, yeah. It just opens up a whole other world. There'll be more competition, though, because it's, you know, if, let's say, here in the tri-state area of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, are you just competing a bit against the people around here, which is a lot, mm-hmm. but then you compete against the whole world, but at the same time, you could look all over the world. Yeah. So to me, that's just an amazing concept. I would love to see if that happens, but
0: I guess... You know, it, it's you know, all going to depend on the role, yeah. too, you know, because, again, as I'm saying, if you've got a big team of people of... Of researchers, let's say on the tech side, and they they need to be together physically. When we can all come yeah. back together, then then there's real advantage to that. I mean, there's 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 we're going to move into this remote working, but we're here. But I think it's going to last for a long time. But there are going to be pockets where you need proximity, you need to be at least you know able to travel um, to come together for individual contributors, maybe not. Maybe you can say exactly where you are, wherever that is. And I know some folks, for example, at Google, who are moving around, right? They're spending a month here and a That's month so there. Cool. Isn't That's that cool? Fun. It really yeah. is. It's yeah. um,
1: I was just, I was just writing about in Hawaii. They because tourism is down, they're making it really attractive for people to come. And my family wasn't up for it. I was, I, I, I was like, let's go to Hawaii. How cool would that be? <laughs> my kids are doing online anyway. Right. It seems so great. I mean this is in a way Jeannie and this is gonna sound kind of crass maybe Mm -hmm. but I think one of the side you know things of the pandemic is all of a sudden it opens up so many doors it's almost like it unlocks your mind so you don't have to think as it was in the past like okay why not why not be in you know the Bahamas or Hawaii or North Carolina somewhere warmer than the Northeast and do your work just to stay and that would just be terrific. Why not? Yeah, let me ask you this. It's so when you say it's about a bro culture, how does that impact? Let's say someone like yourself, someone even even let's say a guy who isn't in that maybe kind of bro, you know, culture, mm-hmm. and then all sorts of other people. Does it just become like an awkward thing? Is there people who feel isolated? Or well, I out?
0: think um, I think yes. I think yeah. that can happen, and I think. It's insidious, meaning you don't, because Google also has this culture of, you know, be nice, be kind, be supportive, be googly. Um they really say word, that? It's a word, yeah. Be googly? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, and when I first heard it, I was like, seriously? Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and as a recruiter, what I, my thing was, is because people would say that, you know, what is the, the googly-ness factor? Yeah. And I'm like, look, that to me sounds like code for subjectivity, the <laughs> diversity person kicking in. And I'm like, what are the competencies associated with being googly? <laughs> and there are some, one is um, you know, managing ambiguity, dealing with ambiguity in an effective way, building inclusive teams. I mean, there, there are some things that, that suggest to be googly, but you are gonna find pockets of people, maybe some of the legacy folks um, who kind of like things the way they were back when Google was 10,000 people. And now it's 132,000. So you know you've got to have and insist upon having leaders who are held accountable for um, inclusive practices and inclusive behavior. And that that's when we talk about inclusion. This isn't about just race, gender, ethnicity. This is everybody. And so that bro culture really needs to kind of die down, in my view, um, and and arguably (laughs) you know wither away. And we get to this this more of this standard of true inclusion, which is the highest level of performance, right? Because you can't just assume that because you're part of the bro culture, because you know somebody, that you're the best. No, is it the bro
1: culture? From from someone who's not a techie, is it? See, because sometimes I think I think it's probably maybe a misconception, thinking more of hey, you have these brilliant software developers and coders, and they have their own little clique, and they feel that they're just smarter than everybody else. But that's not really what you're talking about.
0: You're talking about it broader thing. than that. I think there are, there are pockets. Yeah, I think initially in the early days, that was how it was established. It was sort of the revenge of the nerds. I've heard that reference, right? <laughs> where all of a sudden you've got these these super smart people that are now making goo gobs of money and are really cool, and they want their own little clique. Um, but I think it's morphed into something bigger than that where um, there's almost sort of this expectation when you think about the private equity firms that funded a, a lot of these startups back when Google was a startup, and now on these other tech companies that have grown. You know, there there is this this culture of well, do I know you, right? And the that is exclusive. It's so wild. So
1: so like you'll see, well, on your staff, I guess, or your, for, your, your former staff over there it'd be like, okay, who knows who, who knows who, and you get references for this person,
0: referrals for this person, and it just becomes this very closed network. That's right, that's right. And, and that's why I would go back to, it's great that you know this person, but I'm gonna assess them on the basis of competencies, and I'm gonna make sure that they're being assessed um, along with you know, and held up to the same standard, the, whether or not you know them. I don't care that you know them. I, I want competencies to outweigh relationships. That was my goal and and i think that that cuts across everything that and that's ensuring that you're getting the best because again the pedigree thing has never shown um capability meaning you can go to the finest schools you can have patents degrees up the wazoo but in terms of being smart does not equal being effective and particularly at the leadership levels being a domain expert is not the same as being a great leader, which is what you need to morph into the higher up you go in an organization. Let's look at that, I know in your book, you talk a lot about competencies. And when I hear from candidates from the
1: 20 plus years of recruiting, it's so frustrating for them because they'll say, Jack, I know I can do this job. And for the, for the ones who I have a close relation, so I really know what they're capable of, I'll know they can do it. And the companies won't give them a chance because maybe they didn't go to the right school they didn't have the right major or whatever it may be but you know they could do it and they don't give a chance so for people like that do you have any suggestions how do you break through that wall where you're smart you're capable and let's let's presume it's not like a completely out of left field you know that you do have the ability to move into a certain company role.
0: what can you do yeah um a couple things I didn't mention too, i have a podcast, Jack. I'm, I'm going to do a good gratuitous pitch of that. It's called Fifth Dimensional oh, Leadership, right. and um, and and the reason I'm bringing it up is I'm working on an episode now where I'm talking about building your narrative,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and at the the essence of that narrative building is you being able to articulate your competencies. Most people just start, you know, a litany of here's all the stuff that I've done, and. I care about that, but I care more about how did you do it? Why did you do it? And people don't have that fluid dialogue and they they also don't have a direction. Why do you wanna do this other thing? So the onus is on you as a prospective candidate, right? Job seeker to help the interviewer or screener, whoever it is you're talking to hiring manager see the, the dots, the connection points, the through line, AKA competencies of what it is that you've done and for you to be able to even write a hybrid resume that shows those competencies first before you start talking about the chronology of the accomplishments and the roles that you've had. So really being able to articulate and have thought it through, that's the thing. People wanna to jump to, okay, well, what script should I write or what, what should I put on my resume? And I'm saying, do a deeper dive and you get really clear, even have a, you know, a, a mock interview, so to speak, where you begin to articulate what are those specific things, those connection points. I'll give an example. So I spent a number of years in financial services, um, asset management, uh, real estate investment management with JL and Prudential before I became an executive recruiter. And I got to a place where I didn't want to do it. My dad died and I just kind of looked up and said, you know, I don't love this real estate work anymore. Um, and I was honest with myself and I thought, what have I always done? I'd been a college recruiter when I came out of undergrad at UC Davis. Um, I had always volunteered at all the companies I worked for to go on site and, and interview for them. I was on the admissions committee at Kellogg when I got my MBA. So there was this through line in my history that was never, well, it was a full-time job as a college recruiter, but I decided I wanted to be a professional executive level recruiter. And so I educated myself on what does it mean? What did it mean to, to do that? And I networked effectively and got a shot um, at Spencer Stewart where I did land, but I built up just almost, I didn't call it this that then, but I, I learned how to talk about the elements of what I had done in the real estate world around business development around building strategies, around managing clients, that's what executive recruiting is. And being well-networked, people think that's what executive recruiting is. Actually, it's all the other stuff. It's more the other stuff of client management, business development, as it is having a network. Because again, it's not just about my network. I can't possibly have a big enough network. My network starts me off. My ability to do deep research is what makes me a good executive recruiter. And so being analytical, being curious, um, being a systems thinker, these are things that I was able to articulate in my interview that got me into Spencer Stewart. So so even though I had a little bit of recruiting, it was not that relevant to be honest, but I was the one who was able to build that narrative that helped them to see that I could be a successful executive level recruiter.
1: I think it makes so much sense because one of the frustrations I I feel for people is that, it's surprising they find it so hard to articulate here's what i've done here's what i'm looking to do and to me it seems pretty straightforward but it's surprising and sounds like you you know know, you've seen this a lot they can't really tell their story Mm -hmm. or if they tell it it's just very lit here's i did this and i did this and i did this and i did this and it's like okay but Splat. what you're saying is to people is really, you got to tell your story, you got to tell a narrative. And then you have to weave in the things you've, de- you've done in the past and how it makes sense for what you're trying to do for that next role. So that the person who's listening goes, oh, I get it. I see I it. You're like putting together all the dots. So then you have this picture at the end and, and the interviewer is like, oh, I see. Mm-hmm. And if you can't articulate, if you can't
0: tell that story, it's never going to happen. That's right. So that's what you said. And it, and it doesn't have to take, I mean, I just kind of told you mine in what, yeah. like two minutes? Exactly. Um, so, but it, it means I've thought about it and it means I have a destination. Now, my destination is going to change or if I'm looking for something across a couple different areas, I might have a couple different narratives, much like I might have a couple of different resumes. So there's a, you need a rationale and as a recruiter, what I'm listening for is I'm listening for how you think, right? The fact that you've done certain things, that's great. Um, But I really wanna know how do you think and what has been your progression? Have you moved up? Have you made a lot of lateral moves? Have you moved around too much? Well, why? Explain that to me and don't apologize, but have a clear, you know, I was unfocused. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And then this happened and I got clarity, I got focus, I aligned myself with a mentor, and that's when I really started to take off. That isn't gonna be on a resume, but that matters to me because now I'm getting to know how you think and I'm seeing a progression and movement in your maturation, your professional maturation. It's interesting, and you didn't
1: mention this, but I could hear in your voice, it it probably helps to bring a lot of passion to it and excitement to it because that's how you come across when you're, when you're telling your story about it, it, it shows. And, and I think people listen more when yeah. you, you, you know, you really turn it up, but authentically, you know, like when you're talking, I could tell you're just being yourself and talking, but I'm listening like, wow, this is a great story. But I find a lot of job seekers when it ends up happening, I don't know why this happens. They feel they have to go into a default mode of like, okay, you know, they're really serious and very dry. And you don't, Get a sense of who they are, and I'll I'll speak to Candy sometimes, and because I'll get feedback and say, just be yourself. You're such a you know dynamic, energetic person. Why aren't you doing that in the interview? And yeah. they all feel like, oh, I shouldn't. I'm supposed to have this, right? It's crazy. Yeah,
0: it it drives me crazy because there's I feel as though companies are leaving so much on the table by not creating an environment where individuals are bringing passion. To what it is that they do. And I want people to equally be discerning about the companies that they're interested in to know, can I be myself in this company? Because that's who I need to be. And one of the things that I love that I was able to do in my four years at Google was to speak to a lot of Googlers um, about career mapping. Yeah, they're, they're called that. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> Everything is Zoom-ler, Googler, Googler it's just so funny because you have this company that's such a great iconic brand household name you know it's such an such an air about them but then you have these you know it, you can't help but smile when you hear this but you would think that it would be more serious but it's i love it how it could well
0: there's a playfulness to the brand yeah. as well right yeah we try and they tr- they now i keep saying yeah. we try not to take themselves too seriously but yeah, I, I think um, it pains me, but but when people don't feel like they can be authentic. But what I one of the things that I learned, I, I ended up speaking to several thousand Googlers around the world, and and I heard from them saying, you kind of gave me permission to show up as myself. Wow. And I thought, oh my God, what what the what have we been doing as an organization? What has that culture done to squash down aspects? To me, that's capital. That is horsepower that a company should be tapping into and leveraging. Um, if people aren't feeling comfortable to be them and to express their views and to feel as though they have support and air cover just in doing their jobs, then there's a problem. But I, I think it's it's not it's not um, unique to Google or any of the tech companies. It's it's rampant, and so that's what you're seeing when you see these folks that are sitting down and they think. You know what the, let me, let me mention this, Jack, because I think this is another element of it. Some of it is, it's not just the companies. Some of it is the internal dialogue of um, where the individual is coming from. By that I mean, and I saw this notably at Google, but elsewhere, you get really smart people, right? And especially those that have come out of college or they've been out for a few years. And they're of a mind that this is a meritocracy that if I get, if I do what I did, right, cause I got good grades and that got me here. So now if I do everything I'm asked to do on my job description and I do it really well, does that mean I'm gonna get promoted and I'm gonna get the highest rating? That shouldn't be, it's not a meritocracy because um, it's, it's not just about doing your job, it's the how do you do it? Right,
1: and There's this is lot, what people don't that's get. That's such a mind-blowing concept. It sounds so mm-hmm. straightforward when you say it, but when you really mm-hmm. think about it, because I'm listening to it, I'm thinking, yeah, I would say if you took a poll, I would even venture to say 99 out of 100 people will say, oh yeah, it's a meritocracy, and if I work hard, I do well, okay. and I see the expectations, I'll get promoted. That's how it is. But you're saying it's a whole lot. Well, so what else do? You have, so what else do you have to do? Like, what would you say to people? Like, all right, maybe they feel I'm not kind of moving forward in my career. I've been doing what I'm supposed to be doing. My boss says to do one, two, three. I'm doing one, two, three, what else? So what would you suggest to people to do? Well,
0: I'll share with you some of the advice that, that I gave to my team members, right? Because I sat in all of their reviews with their managers um, during this last cycle. And I always did that because I wanted to hear, you know, a couple levels down from me, how are people doing and really monitor and be able to kind of keep my eye on what I consider to be top talent on the team. And so one of the things I said to all of them was let's make sure that you are building not just, you know, to do your work, but you you're lifting your head up and you're seeing what's going on outside of Google, outside of your client's world. Are you going to any conferences? And it's so easy now to do a virtual conference in a particular area. You know, get good and learn. Be curious. Um, what Bring what you learn back onto the team. How are you adding value to the team? And, and I can't prescribe this because then it becomes another check the box. Exactly, right? right? I when but, the conference check. To this. Yeah, but what I'm looking for is how are you maturing as a professional in developing your relationships organically developing people below you more junior than you people at the peer level outside of your function cross functionally looking up and out beyond you know just google itself and looking at tech more broadly looking at other functions so i'm looking for people who have a level of curiosity and and are holistic systems thinkers who can bring something back to the organization into what they do and i said you know you should be join an employee resource group Do something that, and don't tell me you don't have time because as far as I'm concerned, that's part of your job. I need you to be connected outside of this group in order to know that you're gonna be good and I think that's true no matter what the function is. You
1: no, know, it's so interesting because I'm thinking now, there must be so many people, not just at Google, but other companies who must be so frustrated because they're thinking, like you said, graduated college, went yep. to maybe a great university, did everything they're supposed to be doing, at the job doing everything, but then they watch other people getting promoted. They're like, why? Mm-hmm. And because, and this goes back to what you mentioned about having the abilities, having not the pedigree but just having the competencies and what are the competencies? Some people just have the you know, the people skills, the social skills, the street, sometimes the street smart skills to know how do I navigate my career? Like you said, how do I deal with the people who are below me? Uh, my peers, people above me, people at different companies, treating the janitor same as the CEO. Like they have those skills and they rise. And I wonder, do you have a lot? And you see this in companies too, where it becomes resentful because you have this person who has the pedigree who did everything right? And then you see that other person who's fast tracking, and they're like, "Like How, what? That's, that's, that's not the way you're supposed to be. What's going on here?
0: Yeah. And some of that comes back full circle to that competency thing. Yeah. You knowing what yours are, play to your strengths. You know, play to your. So, what do you love to do the most? Well, how can you bring that into the mission and the objectives of the group that you're in, and even more broadly? To you know whatever bigger team that you're in. So if you're if you're in accounting, well, how can you bring something not to just accounting, but to finance, um, or to your clients that you're interacting with in a financial function? So that's what I'm looking for. It's it's um, it, ultimately it starts to emerge to be capabilities and competencies associated with leadership. And even if it's thought leadership, write a blog, write a, you know, a, a whatever, um, and and demonstrate a thought piece on how it is that you learned how to do something. I mean, so, and help other people, pay it forward. And you're not doing this just, again, to get a grade, to check a box. You're doing this for your own fortification and development. And it will, over time, I'm sure, help somebody rise and yeah. catch the attention of those that are making those promotion decisions. It's so interesting because sometimes people who don't have the pedigree
1: possess all those skills innately, you know, they're just naturally like, you know. Sometimes you can see when people are just cozying up to power and people in charge, and it's so obvious. Others, they're just they're just being themselves, and they enjoy being with other people. They enjoy helping. They enjoy it, so it comes across naturally, and they're good at it, and they rise. So, so that's it's it's so funny, Gene, because sometimes things. When, you know, you hear it, they sound simple, but then you realize, wow, why aren't we doing this? Why aren't people doing this? And they're missing out on it. Yeah. And if you do mind, if I can go back a little bit. So when you're talking about telling the story in a narrative, uh, in terms of creating I do, it's kind of a band, the middle to senior executives, right? It won't be the C-suite. It'll be under the C-suite and, you know, kind of mid to senior level. And a big challenge these people have is that, let's say I'll get a job order. And there's 10 different ingredients on it, they really want those 10. And they just don't want to hear the story. They don't want to hear the narrative. They just like Jack, do they have it or they don't have it? Or they, you know, they don't have enough of it. For those kind of folks, it's tough because it's, it's you're you're hitting into a wall. Are the ways that maybe they any suggestions for those kind of folks? How to, in addition to what you said earlier, when you when well... you're into the just the the institutionalization of how it works in yeah. terms of you know the HR, and I'm not casting any you know no. versions on people, but like it's sometimes they're just these, it, it, and you can't it, sometimes you can't blame them because they're afraid that the, the hiring manager is going to get mad and why are you sending me Jack Kelly's resume? He only has three of the ten ingredients, and that person has
0: to worry about their job. Yeah, yeah. Is um well, a couple things. It, backing up, and and I will, for the recruiters who who might be listening or hiring managers or HR people who are supporting hiring managers as they're trying to recruit, make sure that this job description is actually accurate and relevant, right? Don't list those 10 things. Are 10 things really essential or are half of those nice-to-haves? And how many of those things are competency-based versus pedigree, must have X number of years having done X, Y, Z. They could have sucked at it, right? But I mean, seriously, and that's the thing about the competency thing, right? Because versus experience, I know people who have years of experience who aren't good. Uh, you know, you know, what's left at that, My mom would say that. she She's
1: the best way, but she was a teacher and she would talk about other teachers and go, well, just because she was doing it for t- 20 years doesn't mean she's any good at it. She was just doing it for 20 years. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That was like a very common thing she would say when she would bump into other teachers or my, myself and my brother would have teachers that were just not good. She'd go, well, just because they did 20 years doesn't mean they
0: did a good job for 20 years. No, and, and the same is true here. And so that's why that pedigree thing is, the, to me, it's, it's the biggest fallacy in recruiting, right? I, so let's go back to the competency piece Hiring manager, make sure that job description has competencies articulated in it. And as a recruiter, you get to to push back before you go into the market with that job description and say, are these, because I'm finding a whole lot of people who are missing some of these things, but man, are they spiking in these other areas that when we talked hiring manager, you said were really important. That's why I'm showing you these people and not some of the other ones who check the box on these things that aren't especially relevant and useful
1: because what I'm hearing too, it sounds like almost everybody has to be brave along that whole time continuum. You know, yeah. everybody tell their story and, and, and their narrative. And if they are trying to kind of pivot into something a little different to be able to do your homework and, and be able to do it, the recruiter who's a little bit more open-minded, the HR person who's gonna look at it to be more confident to go to the hiring manager and, and make, a, you know, and, and push for that candidate. Right. So it, it sounds like it's all
0: those pieces have to work together. If it does, it could make a big difference. It will make a big difference, but it means you've got people that are leaning in to the process and allowing the process to actually work. <clears throat> Excuse me, and not just saying, you know, go talk to these five people at these six companies um, that that I know or that somebody else referred to me. That's not running a search.
1: Yeah. So, so what you're saying? I would get all the time where someone will say, "Hey, you know, let's say I'm working on an assignment, and they'll say. Hey, Jack, I'm not interested, but uh, speak to so-and-so. And I know it's going to happen. So-and-so is friends with the person, but he sucks. It's like,
0: right. like so-and-so is out of work.
1: Yeah. <laughs> or he's just just not good. It's like, and, and this is in a way, kind of sort of what you're talking about to a certain degree where, okay, just because I'm friends with him and he's no good, you should really champion his cause because he's a friend of mine and come on, help him out. And then I'm like, and then I feel like, all right, now you're going to get mad at me because I'm not going to help him because I don't, he, he's just not right. He's not meeting the bar.
0: <laughs> Come on. And it's, well, and but sometimes, Jack, that can be that feedback because I'm—I'm. People know me. I am long on giving critical feedback because that's what a lot of particularly underrepresented individuals don't get. So if you're not getting the feedback, then you're at a disadvantage. And so I give feedback to all of my team the good stuff and the not so good stuff, right? And similarly, when in an agency, when I was at Spencer Stewart, I could give feedback to candidates that we didn't move forward. Inside an organization, it's harder to do, their privacy Parker. and other kinds of concerns. But but I would say, you know, I really had a hard time understanding this about you. You're, and, and I'll, I'll I'll share this with you, when I was coaching some of Google senior leaders in the internal mobility program that I created um, I would give them that feedback. I'd say, okay, let's let's kick off and try to let, help me understand kind of where you've been and what you're thinking about. Um, what do you love to do? I love solving big problems. I'm like, eh, no, no, okay. that's a that's a BS answer. I, I no, we're gonna we're gonna dig in. Don't say don't ever say that in a job interview. <laughs> okay, that is empty. I want to hear break that down for me. Give me this is when you can talk about specific things that you've done but break it down and help me understand what that looks like for you. Where is your passion? When do I see you light up? Just like you said to me, you see passion coming from me. That's what I'm looking for in an individual. And somehow going back to your earlier point, people don't feel entitled to show their passion, which I think is one of the biggest mistakes that they make. It's like, show up show me why you want this and you can't fake it because I can you know you and I are skilled recruiters we can we can smell a rat when somebody's just giving us a line um so so yeah I think that's that's really what people need to focus on. I
1: find out though well I'm curious your, your, your situation that when you give
0: the feedback to people do they take it well or not so well or it depends mostly, mostly people do. I'm, I'm kind. I'm not, I'm not out to beat anybody up or to make or shame anybody or embarrass them. And, and occasionally, and actually more often than not, if I give some feedback to someone they they own it. So I'll, I'll give you an example of someone that I met with, um, fairly recently and he kind of, I didn't ask him for a narrative, but I said, just tell me about yourself. I didn't even get into this whole narrative thing. So he walked me through some of the things that he had done. And I said, well, I didn't hear much about progression. I didn't hear you saying that you had gotten promoted. Did you? Uh, Actually, no, I actually made a lot of lateral moves. I didn't hear you talk about a team. Have you managed people? Actually, no, I haven't. Um, And what, what came out of that conversation was he owned the fact that he had just been kind of bumping along for a while. And he was frankly, I think a little aimless I don't know that he had gotten a mentor or a sponsor. I don't know that he had been cultivated, um, but he had been around for quite some years, and was just kind of there. And I think the fact that I raised those things without judgment helped him to realize, maybe this—it's time for him to move on to maybe a different group or to a different company to get what he wants. What do you want? Was my question for him. What exactly do you want? What kind of work do you want to be doing? And that's, my passion comes from wanting to see everybody able to do that. If you don't like your job, get out of it. You shouldn't be doing it. Go find something that you love to do. And there's going to be trial and error. There will be, but start to get clear and allow yourself. And, and Jack, I wanted to mention this earlier. I think, I think there are a lot of, um, familial and other belief systems that get overlaid on all of this when we think about the meritocracy in school right and a lot of cultures go to school get a good job and stay there that's what your parents tell you right and that's what you that's what you do um and and the whole idea of you right and and the whole idea of you loving what you do is rarely talked about it's make us proud go to the best school because that will give you the best job to make the most money. And yet, we're seeing people who are so unhappy having those things, right? They get the job, the money, the title, the whatever, and then they're like, I'm, I'm not a happy person. No, well, not. then what is life about? So, there's a bigger sort of existential thing here that, that I think people need to own and question their values and their beliefs and, you know, whose life are you living? Is this yours of your choosing? Or is this your parents or someone else's? Do
1: you think it's going to change a little bit? Because I've I've definitely run across both uh, professionally and personally, given COVID and seeing people sick, people seeing people pass away. They're coming to me saying, hey, what can I do differently? How can I pivot? How can I change? How can I reinvent myself? How how can I just go in a completely different industry? Am I crazy to just maybe go back to school and do something? Have you seen that? You think that's gonna be- I am
0: seeing that and I'm I'm encouraged by that. I actually think that's a that's a good outcome of COVID. It's, there is a reckoning and people are questioning that sort of that philosophical, who am I and what do I want? Life is short. I, I'm not fatalistic. I, I actually but think- It's, life it's that feeling. Be right. it's that,
1: I think collectively we all have that feeling. It's that wake up call. Like you realize, oh my gosh, everything is so fragile, mm-hmm. and temporary
0: what are we doing like what? how about how about i be happy you know right and i think that's part of what i'm saying is that again in so many cultures it, that's the last thing that people are trying to solve for it's i got to put food on the table i got to do this i got to do that and then the belief system becomes one of to the exclusion of my happiness when in fact i actually believe you can have it all meaning you can have your happiness and do work that you love and make money i believe that but you've got to believe that in order to make that a reality.
1: Absolutely. Because, you know, there's so many, t- it sounds like you've spoken to a lot of these folks too, where you just feel it, that they're just unhappy. You know, they have a nice title, you know, you know, as recruiters, you know, kind of how much they're making. So, you know, they're doing really well, but you could just feel it, you know, like they don't have to say it. You just feel that. Vibe. You can absolutely People feel it. they are unhappy, they're angry. You know, they bring it home to their their spouse and their kids. And it's, you want to say to them. Maybe do something else. This is not healthy. This is not good. Right. It's like the movie, right? Get out. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> you got to wonder too, not to go on a tangent, but you got to wonder too. Is that why maybe in this culture we we have so much, you know, prescription drugs, so much yep. illicit drugs, so much drinking, so much binge eating, all that kind of stuff? Is that if you're unhappy and and with what you're doing?
0: It's going to come out in other ways. That's exactly right. You're trying to numb yourself. Yeah. And and I saw some of this with young folks. I have a 24 year old son, and um, I saw certain behaviors with him that a lot of anxiety um, yes. when he was in college, right? And some depression, and those things. And I and I saw evidence of it at, in within Google among his, you know that same age cohort. So
1: I can imagine in Google a lot because you're you're, you're right? Yeah. Now you're around really smart, super successful people. Mm-hmm. And then you're around probably a lot of people who, if they've been with the company for a while, have stock, have a lot of money. And now you're like, oh my gosh, all of my accomplishments are like nothing now compared to those other people. And it, ha- it
0: has to kind of maybe wear on you a little bit, I imagine. Called, it has a name, imposter syndrome.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and I, I would talk about that to the groups that I spoke to, um, especially groups of women and other underrepresented folks to say, listen, you belong here. Google hired you for a reason. So now, what are you gonna make out of this situation? How are you gonna change things if you don't like where you are? How are you gonna, if you are happy, um, or even if you're not happy, how are you gonna make it better for everyone? Not just what what did you want? Because, and I thought about this for myself, um, In earlier in my career, I could get the job But then I I wasn't always aware of what I should be thinking about once I'm in it. Now that I'm in the job, it wasn't about the next role as much as what do I need to learn? What am I here to learn and master so that I feel good about, regardless of what comes at me in this organization, I know what skills I can walk away with and leverage for that next thing that I see myself doing. And that thing might change based on whatever I'm learning and being exposed to in my current job, that destination might shift. But I know that I am amassing competencies that are gonna drive me closer to what I ultimately want, which ideally is going to be in keeping with who I know myself to be and who I know myself to have become. Because you change as a person over time. I'm not the same person I was 10 or 15 years ago. So, and, and I'm glad about that. And I'm, I love where I am now. And it's been pretty, a pretty exciting journey, but I don't think people give themselves that latitude. Oh, right, you you know what you
1: start, it's, you evolve, you change, but then you don't do anything to really change, you know? So then you're caught in this weird situ- situation. You keep doing what you're doing, but you're really not the same person. And I am a big be believer in that. Like the person I was X amount of years ago is a completely different person than I am now, probably what I'm gonna be in 10 years. Mm-hmm. if. Put it this way, pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, I started Recruiter, and eventually I, I, we're going to have to monetize it somehow, but we've been just for free, helping as many people as we can, because I thought, hey, you know what, I could look back and say I did something positive. So we'll have these We meet Up calls like you were talking about. It's so easy to have these networking calls, have the calls. I coach people before they go in interviews, not as a recruiter, just as a regular guy trying to help people out, doing, doing these kind of LinkedIn lives, but... The person I was pre-COVID would be like, "What are you doing? Like, what's what are you doing? Get what's back to your What's wrong with you?" But I don't know. I felt like it's you, you crossed that line, and like I feel different, and I'm not going to ignore that and just keep doing what I'm doing. I, I put I put a little bit of a pause on a lot of it, mm-hmm. but I felt more comfortable with who I am now to say, "Hey, I'm at a point I can get back and help, and I want to do it." And, I, and Monetarily, it's not that great, but at all. <laughs> but in terms of spiritually, I, I'm so happy. It's and it's it's really weird. And it's so different. So I can I completely get what you're saying because I'm going through this now and I'm wondering. All right, now I don't know. Now do I stay doing this or am I going to kind of evolve to something else too? But that's kind of fun too. Yeah. it's kind of a journey. You're figuring out like, okay, where you know where is it going to take you? And, right. Well, you did it twice now, right? You did it with Prudential and you did it now with Google. So like how does it feel? Because that's pretty, that's pretty brave and gutsy yeah. to say, hey, you know what?
0: I'm gonna try something different. Mm-hmm. And go Yeah, I, I did it at Spencer Stewart. Yeah, like three um, times. Okay, at least three in, in, 11 years ago. Yeah. And, well, twice. And so I left Spencer Stewart. I was a partner in good standing and decided I wanted to write this book. And I, and I was a single mother of then a, a 13-year-old son. Um and I just had a vision for wanting to help people because one of the things that I that made me uncomfortable as an executive recruiter at one of the best firms in the world was that so many people would come to me and say, "You're going to help me uh, with my find my next job and with my career." And I'd say, "You know, I try to set expectations. Actually, no, that's not how that works. I don't represent you. I want you to understand that I'm representing the company who's paying me, and the likelihood that they are going to have something." that meets your needs or that anyone in Spencer Stewart at this moment in time is going to have what meets your needs is low. Um, and so I would break that down. They're like, okay, good. So you're going to help me. <laughs> I just couldn't hear it. It's um, the misconception. They don't really understand. Atlanta they don't, they they don't get the model yeah. at all. And so I wanted to really show people, and I come from a family, both my parents were, my dad was a prison warden, my mother a physical therapist. And Um, they were very much of service oriented. I saw them, you know, being active in the community and always helping other people. And so that was really the spirit in which I wanted to write this book. And as I was writing it, I wrote it with a co-author who was a journalist, because I ended up, I created sort of a a manuscript that was like a reading a manual. It was really boring. And my co-author Um, interviewed me and extracted all these stories from me. Here we go again with that story, that narrative thing, these stories that I could tell to bring this manual that I had written to life. And as we were going through it, I, I realized that going full circle, where we sort of started this conversation about methodology of executive recruiting, there is a way that you do it. And that matched perfectly with the career mapping process that I had outlined for the individual right? There's one that you do for the search for your client, and then for the individual who's conducting a job search or a job assessment for themselves. um, You need to go through that same process of identifying what is it that you want, identifying the competencies, putting together a search strategy, all of these things. And so that's why I did that then. And I did consulting um, and a little bit of coaching. And I think I, in hindsight now, I I think I, I did it for four years. I was on my own. And I loved it, but I wasn't making as much money as I was in a search firm and needed to put my son through college. So I went back into another search firm. But again, I, I look at that and I'm grateful for it because it shaped me. And I'm now doing it now, you know, 11 years later, um, I can say that I've gained a tremendous amount of confidence. I'm proud of all the other things that I've been able to do. Um, and it's brought me to this other place where I'm now ready to do something completely different and I'm not likely going into another organization. I'm gonna do the Ginny Clark brand and I'm pretty excited about it. That's great. So so are you at liberty to say a little bit about what the Ginny Clark brand is gonna be? <laughs> uh, it's gonna be the podcast, more on that. I'm, I'm loving doing that. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Um, I just had Susan Rice. I've had some other really amazing guests. I'm gonna have... Um, um, the, this I just had Derek Blasberg who runs YouTube, fashion and beauty. I'm gonna have the CEO of Bumble. Um, so wow, I've, awesome. I've got some, some really cool people um, and featuring. I just had a professor from Columbia University, a leadership professor. So I'm doing that. I also um, am gonna do some consulting. Um, I do a lot of speaking. And so keynote speaking and uh, probably another book. And then we'll see what else. I got a couple other things up my sleeve
1: that's great. See, and that's, that's really encouraging for people too, because a lot of folks are scared to make that leap. You know, you stay, you know, you're in the pool, you have your hand on the ledge, because you don't want to go out. And and, but it shows that you can do it, you can kind of say, Hey, you know what, I maybe I don't want this corporate life forever. You know, maybe I'll come back. Maybe I won't. I don't know. But I have these other things I want to do. I can if I want to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The cool thing is you practice what you preach. You know, like you say to do these and you do it, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you should do this and you should do that, but they don't do it themselves. <laughs> but you, you do it. So let me I, do it. I can't believe it. It's like an hour already, but and I, I had some, I, I didn't mean to be rude if I was looking because we got some questions, but sure. I don't want to get distracted because you're in such a role. Is it okay if we have time for like just a couple Please. Of questions? Please. So, yep. So, so Chris Lewis was asking who's training the interviewers? I've yet to be interviewed by someone who's trained as an interviewer and basically her thing is it just seems like she's knocking her head against the wall because she's dealing with these interviewers who
0: are just. I know that's a problem that's a serious problem and one of the things that we tried to do was um, all of the recruiters on my team would send competency based questions to all of the interviewers in advance of the interviews. Um, we, they, allegedly they were trained but people go rogue, and and they they just you know they just want to ask whatever they want to ask, and that's not cool. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, do get interviewers trained and pre screened, and then feed them. The recruiter should be feeding them very specific questions that have to do with that role. Yeah, that's that's the only way. Otherwise, you know, you're ending up again with the the feedback that comes in is all wonky. You've got people that are have asked the wrong stuff, and so the. The feedback is is pretty useless when it comes to actually assessing and you know pulling together and come trying to come to a conclusion about an individual. Because yeah, in part of her question, it wasn't part of a question. just call color. She had an interview. It was like for forty five minutes just talking, and not asking her anything. Well, <laughs> and here let me give a, a quick tip on that one. Um, you know, it's I think it's okay for individuals, the candidates, to be able to say, "Excuse me, I'm concerned about time," and there are a couple things I wanted you to know about me. And that's how you manage that.
1: You're courageous, so you could do these things. A
0: lot of people, it's hard to do. You better, you better do it though. If you, if you want to be considered, you know, look at that clock and say, listen, I, I, I'm just Mm -hmm. concerned about time, because people lose track of time and they're not trained and they don't know what they're doing and they're nervous too. Yes, that's what. Yeah. See, that's a really interesting point. What I'll tell candidates sometimes, the hiring
1: manager is more nervous. Because they're afraid if they make the wrong decision, their career is in jeopardy. Or if they make the wrong decision, now they're stuck with someone like, oh, my God, what did I get stuck with? So they're, they're you can always not go and say, all right, I'm not going to take the job. They have to hire someone, and they're going to be judged. So you're right. Mm-hmm. There's another question, too, but I'll paraphrase it. They were talking about you brought up mentoring a lot, you know, find a mentor. How, like, basically, they were
0: asking you, how do you find a mentor? What do you do? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, you can ask somebody, but I, I actually think, and and you, you ideally you will have a few, um, and maybe it's going to be a formal relationship. Maybe I get lots of people ask me if I'll be a mentor, and very often I'll say, I'm, I'm not willing to, to be that on a formal, regular check-in kind of a basis. That's a big time commitment, but I'll spend time with you from time to time and and give you my advice or two cents. So, you know, I, ideally this is someone that you um, you work with and so that there's something in it for them. You ask them how you can pay it forward because I know I have found from some of the young folks that I've mentored, I benefit from what I learned from them. They're They're of a different generation and they're giving me a perspective and a lens into what a whole large cohort of people are going through sometimes. So I enjoy having, you know, that relationship. So to the extent you can, Forge a relationship first with someone, again, someone who's more senior. Um, do that, and it will evolve organically. Hopefully,
1: it's possible to have a mentor who's not the traditional sense of the word of a mentor, but with so much with podcasts, with so much information out there, that you could actually have kind of a virtual mentor. You know, where, where you, you, you're, you're right yeah people that you say wow this person's so smart they know so much stuff and just you know just watch watch their videos soak it and, in yeah that's right and take the place so you don't have that pressure of like all right i can't find a mentor <laughs> or the
0: mentor i want is not that great but there's so much out there that you can find people that whatever you want to learn about yeah there's know. great content yeah but but again it comes back to having done that self-inventory of what are my flat spots? What do I need to learn? What am I looking for? Right? And so that that is going to help steer you in the direction of the who or whatever source of information you're going to. Hey, all right.
1: Last question. Anything at Google that I didn't ask that, you know, you could share, you know, you're not telling any trade secrets, but you could share that people love to know because it's such it's such an amazing company. It's, it's just mind-blowing how in 20 years they've just... You know, just, they're everywhere. I mean, it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Anything like behind the curtain, we should know what happens or how it feels to work
0: there? It was, a, it, it was an exhilarating and crazy environment. It, it can be a little chaotic. Uh, I think they like it like that because I think they believe that it breeds a sense of innovation. I'm not so convinced that's not my work style. I was someone who was like, I don't do fire drills. I mean, because you know, we're not. This is not an emergency room. So let's let's kind of t- t- triage <laughs> whatever situation, because no one's going to die here. Um, because I'm I'm someone who likes to assess, and I I can assess a response if I'm not reacting. There's a difference, hmm. um, and I think there's a tendency there to react that's and surprising. not respond. Mm-hmm. See, that's what I'm talking. That's so surprising. I would think that everybody there. It's so funny how you just make assumptions,
1: right? <laughs> I'm completely making sure that everyone's going to be very analytical, you know, the very numbers oriented, numbers, you know, numbers data driven. That's true. But mm-hmm. also at the same time, I guess, a little chaos thrown into the mix.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a little Montessori. I mean, you've got a lot of people doing their own thing. So it, you know, you have to kind of like get the, the, the swirl quotient down and, uh, and get, figure out exactly how you're going to move forward. That's it's a so young nice. company still. It's it, it is young, and yeah. so it behaves like a, an adolescent at times. That's so
1: wild, yeah. an adolescent that's like worth gazillions of dollars. It's great. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so amazing. It's awesome. So so this is so, this was you gave so much advice to people. See, and this is what I love about you know, these LinkedIn lives, because you may not realize, like, you just gave so much information. So this way, people could watch it and watch it again and listen to all the advice. And I'm not saying this to make you feel like I'm being be very honest. I mean, just so much really good practical. And this like just actionable, practical stuff. You know what I mean? It's no, it's not like, hey, you're saying something and people go, oh, I can never do it. These are things if they take a step back, they could do it. They could you they could follow a narrative. They could, they could look at their watch and say, hey, I, all right, I can't stand you listen talking for 20 minutes more. Are, are you gonna hire me or while? <laughs> you know, to really stand up for yourself. And not, and I love the really advice you gave about just not looking as a meritocracy because that's kind of one of those mind-blowing things that you just say in a cavalier way, but it's so mind-blowing in that, hey, yeah, you can't just show up and you're smart and you're gonna succeed, and that's it. You gotta,
0: not you enough. gotta really
1: take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. So this is some really great advice. I really appreciate it. And Thanks for coming on and and Genie Incorporated Worldwide Holdings or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know? that's right. Yep, GenieClark.com. <laughs> to be so exciting. So this is big. So yeah. you, you have you just go to the speaking circuit, another book, consulting, you know? podcast, a mm-hmm. whole brand, clothing line, maybe. Maybe I love <laughs> fashion. Yeah, you never <laughs> know. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, all right. Just remember, the little people like me, when you get to be a big shot. You You got it, Jack. Well, excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you. My pleasure.
0: Take care. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the WeCruiter podcast. If you want to check out other great content from WeCruiter, make sure to visit us at wecruter.io. That's W-E-C-R-U-I-C-R.io. We offer tons of great resources for job seekers and professionals, so make sure to check us out today.